Acts chapter 13 tonight. Acts chapter 13. I know that um, I said Wednesday night that we were through with the book of Acts, and really we are. Um, we're going to go back and visit a uh, passage there um, tonight in Acts chapter 13. I actually preached um, out of this passage in Tulsa um, a week ago tomorrow when I preached there for a group of uh, Oklahoma pastors. And um, I want to go back there again uh, tonight. And we're just going to read the first three verses. If you would follow with me, Acts 13, beginning in verse 1. Now, there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers, as Barnabas and Simeon, that was called Niger, and Lucius and Cyrene, and Manaen, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. And if you'll study the background of those five individuals, you'll find it that it's a pretty diverse group of, of people right there. It's very interesting. Verse 2, and as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. I appreciate uh, Pastor Tyler graciously uh, relinquishing the pulpit tonight uh, because I, I wanted to uh, do a little preaching on a particular subject. And um, as I read over that, I, I told those pastors last week that I, I'm not really sure that the church at Antioch had any idea that God was going to organize through them, through what we just read, that God was going to organ, organize one of the greatest missionary breakthroughs in the history of the world. That's not, a, that's not an exaggeration. It's not, it's not overstated. That's the truth. Because it was from Antioch that Paul and Barnabas launched the Christian movement into Asia. And then Paul took it on into Europe. And from there it came to America. And we're here tonight because of what happened in Acts chapter 13. We've been announcing for a number of weeks now, and, and many of you are, are well aware, that uh, our 53rd annual Faith Promise Missions Conference is starting up here pretty quick. On the last Wednesday of this month, through the last Sunday of this month, is our 53rd Missions Conference. And so, this is really 
the last Sunday night, the last service that I had the opportunity to uh, address this issue. Um, and so I want to talk to you a little bit tonight about missions and how we do it. Missions and how we do it. Because there's no doubt some among us who have joined with us or are regular attenders with us who are not aware of the missions ministry here at Fellowship Baptist Church. There may be some who for them this is their first exposure ever to missions. For others, perhaps you're familiar with, because of your background or whatever, you're familiar perhaps with how uh, the Southern Baptist Convention does mission work, or maybe you've got another denominational background that, that you come from and, and you know how they do missions work. But tonight is going to be your first exposure really to how we do it as independent Baptists. And so we're going to start here, and, and I, I get this. Listen, uh, don't, don't check out on me tonight. Some of you, you can recite everything I'm about to say. Uh, you've been at this long enough. You know how important missions is. You know how we do missions. You know why we do missions. But again, I'll not apologize for reminding you of that because Peter said twice, once in 1 Peter, once in 2 Peter, he didn't apologize for reminding people of certain biblical truths. And every now and then we just need to be reminded and we need to be stirred again with some basic Bible truth. And so stay with me tonight and we'll start here with the significance of missions. There's a number of reasons tonight why missions is significant. There's a number of reasons why we are, for the 53rd year, having a missions conference. There's a reason why we say that our mission is the Great Commission. There's some reasons for that. And here's the first one. Missions is essential to the life of the church. I don't know that... There's been a conference uh, over the course of the last several years since I found this particular quote um, that I have not used this quote leading up to our missions conference. I don't know that there's been a missions conference that I've preached somewhere uh, that I haven't used this quote uh, because I, I don't, I've not read anything that is as clear about how essential missions is to a church. I don't know that I've read anything that's more clear than what I'm about to read to you tonight from a man by the name of Galen Van Reenen. And he said this, missions is the very lifeblood of the church. As the body cannot survive without blood, so the church cannot survive without missions. Without blood, the body dies. 
without missions, the church dies. As the physical body becomes weak, without sufficient oxygen-carrying red blood cells, so the church becomes anemic if it does not express its faith. The church establishes its rationale for being, its purpose for existing, while articulating its faith. And unexpressed faith withers. A Christian fellowship without missions loses its vitality. Missions is the force that gives the body of Christ vibrancy purpose, and direction. When the church neglects its role as God's agent for missions, it is actually neglecting its own lifeblood. Again, for 53 years, this church has believed that if we neglect our role as God's agent for missions, then we are actually neglecting our own spiritual health. And as we just read, as the physical body dies without blood, so does a church body if it neglects its role in missions. But missions is not only essential because, or not only significant because it's essential to the life of the church. It's also significant because it's the expression of our love for the lost. You know why we have all of those Easter invite cards out there with those maps? It's because we want to express our love for the lost. It's, it's why we bring missionaries in and send missionaries out. It's why we started two churches in Arizona and why we have a missionary in New Zealand. It's because we want to express our love for the lost. Because love is an action. It's one thing to say I love you. But it's quite another thing to show it. When we involve ourselves as individuals and as a church... In missions, we're not merely saying we love the lost, but we are showing the lost that we love them. Paul wrote this to the Romans, but God commendeth, that word means that he showed or he demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So God demonstrated his love for the lost by his actions, by sending his son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. So missions is significant because it's essential for the life of the church. It's an expression of our love for the lost. And then it's evidence of our loyalty to the word. We're pretty big on the Bible around here. It's a pretty big deal. And we like to consider ourselves, though it's not in our name, 
We like to consider ourselves Bible Baptist. And here's what I take that to mean, is that we place a great deal of emphasis on what the Word of God has to say, as well as our adherence to what He has to say. In other words, we don't just give lip service to the Word of God. We challenge you on a regular basis from this pulpit to live it out, to practice it, to make it real in your everyday life. And if we are going to adhere to the Scriptures as a church, then we cannot be anything else but missions-minded. No, no, this is a missionary book. From cover to cover, it's about evangelism. It's about the Messiah. It's about Jesus coming and dying and being buried and raising again from the dead so that we might be saved. That's what the essence of this book is all about. In all four Gospels, as well as the book of Acts, we find the Lord's command for us to be involved in missions. Matthew chapter 28, go ye therefore. He's speaking now to his disciples, the the first church. It's, It's now formed, it's active, it's real, it's living. And he tells his church, Go ye therefore, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. In Mark 16, 15 it reads, And he said unto them, Go ye, there it is again, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Luke 24, 47, And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And then we go to the book of John, John chapter 20, and Jesus said, Peace be unto you, as my Father hath sent me, so send I you. And then in that verse that we're familiar with in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, but ye shall be witnesses, or excuse me, but ye shall receive power. After that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Church, listen, loyalty to the Word of God demands that we be a missions-minded church. As we look at that verse, it 
gives us a glimpse at the scope of missions. Look at it again. Take it back just a minute, Brother Bryce. It mentions Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost part of the earth. As you look at that and you study that and you begin to to see what each of those mean, he's speaking that to his disciples in Jerusalem. And so Jerusalem, we might say it like this, speaks of local missions. Liberal Kansas is our Jerusalem. This is where we live. This is where we have our being. This is our Jerusalem. This is where missions begins. I'll just say it again. Those cards that are out on the table, by the way, church, thank you for responding to that. And I walked out after Bible study this morning into the foyer, and there were already two or three tables that were been taken down. It's awesome. We don't have to bribe you with food. But how many of you vote for food? Amen. We're going to have a little Baptist bird on Saturday, and, but it didn't happen. By the way, where's Sheila Limbacher? That's a good thing. It's a really good thing. Because I'd be calling her out big time. You, you just go to her Facebook page. She put something about a kid being chased by a rooster. She thinks she's funny. I'll get her back somehow. Local missions involves... Reaching our families and our friends and our neighbors and our co-workers and our teammates with the gospel. Jerusalem, local missions. Judea, as you begin to spread out, speaks of national missions. It's a shame that we should speak of evangelizing someone else's country until we've made a significant effort to reach our own. This is what we normally refer to as home missions. That's why 10 years ago or so, we created a mission intern, a mission ministry, intern ministry position. Brother Alfred King was the first to fill that position. Brother John Vaught was the second. Brother Mike Collins is our third missions or ministry intern and we created that actually in 2006 about 12 uh, about 13 years ago now for the intent for the the purpose the intention of planting churches or reviving refurbishing churches right here in America because the truth is this, this is the base. Ameri- missions in America is the base from which we launch foreign missions. And so we've got to strengthen the base. 
because there are, are missionaries, independent Baptist missionaries, that are counting on churches in America to get behind them and support them. So the more churches, and by the way, both of those churches I just mentioned, they're supporting missionaries. Just like it's supposed to work. And then there's Samaria. Speaks of continental missions. There are nearly 7.7 billion, with a B, billion people, human beings on the planet Earth. And nearly 600, or excuse me, 367 million of those live on the North American continent. And every one of them are going to spend eternity somewhere. Every one of them are going to spend eternity somewhere. You stop and think about that. 367 million. That's a pretty large mission field in itself. And then Jesus said, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then he used this phrase, the uttermost part of the earth. That's global missions. So we have local missions. We have national missions. We have continental missions. And then we have global missions. Imagine what's global missions. It's anything that's not local, national, or continental. So it's easy to see that the scope of missions is enormous. I mean, literally, it covers the entire world. Now, if we go back to what we call the Great Commission that's found in Matthew chapter 28, here's what we find should be the focus of every mission ministry. It is to make disciples... That is, to reach people with the gospel, to help people get saved. They are to baptize them, immerse them in deep water, as Brother McCracken says, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. And then they are to disciple them, to teach them the things that Jesus has taught us in His Word. Listen, that's our responsibility locally in our community. That's Brother Alfred and Brother John's responsibility in terms of home missions, national missions, continental missions, global missions. Listen, the mission doesn't change. It doesn't change. It's the same everywhere. Everywhere. Reach people with the gospel. Lead them to make a public profession of their faith in baptism. And then disciple them. Teach them the word of God. Help them to grow, as, as Peter said, in the grace and knowledge of their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now I'm going to have Bryce put up Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 again. 
Because I want you to see something. We shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost shall come upon you. And ye shall be my witnesses. And ye shall be witnesses unto me both. I know most of you already know this, but I want to, it's important. Both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and other most part of the world. Now listen, that, listen, listen. That doesn't mean that when we're through with our Jerusalem that we move on to Judea, to our nation. And then when we get done with our nation, we have time, then we worry about the North American continent. And once all of that's evangelized, then we move on to the rest of the world. That's not what that verse means. There's the key word in that verse is the word both. Go home and study it. It means simultaneously. All at the same time. While you and I are out here walking the streets, putting an invitation to our Easter service on the door in liberal Kansas, that means that John and Alfred are supposed to be doing the same kind of mission work in Oro Valley, Arizona, and Scottsdale, Arizona, and our North American uh, missionaries are supposed to be doing it where they are, and our international missionaries are supposed to be doing it where they are, all at the same time, simultaneously. We're supposed to be evangelizing the world all at the same time. Well, Pastor, how can we do that? I mean, I've, I've barely been across the state line. How am I going to get to the foreign field? Well, let's look at the source of mission. Because here's how we can accomplish Acts 1-8 and evangelize Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost part of the world. Here's how we can do it all at the same time. And this is how I prefer to explain this. It's very simple. It's very basic. You really wouldn't expect anything else from me. But here it is. Number one. Men go out of the church. Acts chapter 13. The church is busy in ministry. They're ministering to the Lord. When all of a sudden, the Holy Ghost breaks in and says, I want Barnabas and Saul. Paul and Barnabas. He said, I want these two. The church recognized God's call on the life of these men and they cooperated with God in that call. Because by the way, God calls men to missions. Let me rephrase that. God calls men to ministry. It doesn't matter if it's missions or not. God calls them. The church doesn't call them. Now, there are some denominations where it's a job. My job is to be part of the clergy. And they just apply like they would at McDonald's. And they do an interview and they, boom, and next thing they know, they're a man of God. 
I'm telling you, God, real ministry is not a job. It's a calling. And God calls men to ministry. And he calls them in and out of the local church. The manpower it takes to fulfill the Great Commission is enormous. It's enormous. And it all comes from the local church. I remember years ago, during our missions conference, I don't know, maybe Wednesday or Thursday, I remember the day after, one morning, we all get to the, to the office. Pastor Landis calls all the staff into the office. And we're all sitting on the couch there. And he said, I just want you to know that God has called the Gabbards to New Zealand. Like, Brother Coleman Gabbard? Not that I'm surprised that he could be a missionary, but shock at, what are we going to do? What are we going to do with that Brother Gabbard? He's like the MacGyver of Fellowship Baptist Church. What are we going to do? I told that group of pastors in Tulsa, I said, listen guys, God's not going to call the people in your church to missions that you want him to call. Hey, God, I got a handful that I'll give you right now. <laughs> I said, by the way, fellas, don't use missions as a convenient way to get rid of inconvenient members. You know who God's going to call if he calls someone out of Fellowship Baptist Church to missions? He's not going to call the person that we can do without. He's going to call the person that's going to leave the biggest hole in the ministry. You know why, here's honest confession, you know why many pastors, ministry leaders, don't pray the Lord of the harvest to call laborers? Because we know, we know who he's going to call. He's not going to call the flunkies. He's not going to call somebody who's never led a soul to Christ, who doesn't involve themselves in ministry. That's not the person God's going to call. God's going to call people who are doing it all. And when, they're, when they leave, it will be felt. It's exactly who he called from the church of Antioch, Barnabas and Paul. They weren't a couple of second-rate flunkies. No, they were key members. They were key leaders in the ministry. And God said, boom, I want them. Ah! What are we going to do? Well, I would like to think we're going to cooperate with the call of the Holy Spirit. 
And I'm thinking to myself all the while I'm talking because that's not in my notes. I'm thinking, Prater, you just put yourself on the line, big boy. We got a missions conference coming up. What are you thinking, you idiot? What are you going to do now if God calls somebody? Well, I guess we'll see. I really won't have a lot of choice. Huh? <laughs> we'll cooperate with God's call. And we'll get behind them like we got behind the Gabbards and like we got behind the Kings and like we got behind the Vots. Amen. But you know what it's going to take for us to do that? Here's the second part. Men go out of the church supported by the money that comes into the church. I told you it's not very complicated. You don't send families, whether they are sent somewhere in America or whether they're sent to a foreign country. You don't send them there for free. And you don't sustain those families for free. It takes money. Just look at the person next to you and say, money. Now, come on. Money. Let's just, let's just slay the elephant in the room right now. Money. It takes money to make that happen. I, uh, I told the pastor, we were, my role last Monday night and Tuesday was to address missions from the vantage point of the sending church. And so I preached a two-part message on characteristics of a sending church. And I made this statement, and I'll stand by it. You say, Bridget, what's it got to do with missions? I'll tell you. I said, there's more to being a mother than having your name on the birth certificate. Can I get a witness there, ladies? And they looked at me like, I said, gentlemen, here's what I mean. There's more to being a sending church than having your name on a prayer card. We support our missionaries. I'm talking about our own right now. Very significantly. 2006, when I came home from the church planning conference in Oklahoma City and met with our deacons and said, guys, I, I can't explain this. I just know as sure as I'm sitting here that God's calling us into church planning. And we talked about it that, that meeting that we were prepared as a church to support those two men. If, if, it, if we're the only ones doing it, we're going to do it. And we're going to take care of them. 
And you could call either one of them right now. Call them tonight when you get home. Say, hey, has our church taken care of you? They'd laugh at you like, what? Because, yeah, we have. We support them significantly as well as the Gabbers. Why? Because there's more to being a mother than just having your name on a birth certificate. There's more to being a sending church than just throwing a couple hundred bucks at a guy and sending him on the road. We haven't done that. We won't do that. But here's the point tonight. It takes money. Because not only do we have our own three missionaries, we have a host of other missionaries that the Lord has led us to take on for monthly support. And we support our foreign missionaries at $100 a month for an unlimited amount of time. There's no cutoff. Some of those men we've been supporting 10, 15, 20 years. Home missionaries, church planters like the Kings and the Vots. We made a shift in our missions uh, policy a, a number of years ago. We support those men for three years at $100 a month. And they know it when we take them on. They know that after three years, we're going to take that money that we've been investing in them and we're going to start investing it in another church planter. And they're good with that. They're fine with that. But again, the point is, it takes money to get that done. Our missions ministry is supported financially by the free will offerings of the members of this church through an offering that we call Faith Promise. Now, there's a, there, there are a number of other ways that churches and denominations do, do missions. There are independent Baptist churches who don't take up a Faith Promise commitment every year. They just take a certain amount of their general fund, 5, 7, 10, 12%, and they put it into the missions fund, and that's how they support their missionaries. That's fine if that's how they want to do it. There's not a problem with that. And you've got the Southern Baptists and others. They've got these cooperative programs that, that the church pours into. Here's why I don't like that. Because they don't have any say in who they support. I like the fact that missionaries come here and we decide if we're going to support them or not. Not some muckety-muck up and wherever. But that's, that's another way of doing it. We, in turn, take the money that comes into missions every week. It goes into our missions account. Jenny Lee oversees, she's our mission secretary. And she makes sure that that money goes out to our missionaries. We support our foreign missionaries. We support our missionaries quarterly. So we don't, we're not writing 100 checks every month. But she makes sure that all of those missionaries get that check for $300 for that quarter. And the only way we can do that is because God's people give on a regular basis. So, here's what happens. God calls a man to missions. And then that man 
starts contacting independent Baptist pastors all over the country like me, I probably average two emails or phone calls a week. Now, here, here's what's funny. They'll say, Pastor, we're going to be in your area. And I say, dude, you know what that means? That could mean within 500 miles. <laughs> you don't come to liberal Kansas on accident. So let's get that straight. You're wanting to come here and present your work, and maybe we'll support you. So let's just cut the chase. Well, yeah. I said, well, you got to understand where we're at. It's not like you can preach in, you know, yeah, I'm going to be in Oklahoma City on Sunday. I'm going to be in Kansas City on Sunday morning. Think I could jump over to your place on Sunday night? Well, yeah, if you had a Learjet. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I, I digress. Anyway, God calls them, and they begin contacting pastors. Pastor, God's called us to Peru. God's called us to Sri Lanka. God's called us to New Zealand. God's called us to Cambodia. God's called us to Vietnam. God's called us wherever. And we would like to come by and present our burden for that country. And if we can fit them in the schedule, then we have them come. You've been here. You know how it goes. They come, and they present their, their video and their work. They tell us a little bit uh, about their work. And, and um, we pray about it and see what the Lord wants us to do. But that's what the Kings did. That's what the Bots did. That's what the Gabbards did. That's what missionaries, that's what independent Baptist missionaries do. They travel a lot on what is called deputation. And they're in hundreds of churches hoping that God will lay it on that church's heart to take them on for monthly support. Now listen, the only way we can do that is if every week or every two weeks or every month you take one of those offering envelopes or you go online and you give to missions. I'm just being honest with you. There's no way we can do it. Now, let me explain a few things about faith promise. Number one, it is an offering that is given above the tithe. Thank you, Roquet. That's somebody who's been given to missions for 100 years. He gets that. So, okay, am I... So am I going to tithe or am I going to get to missions? What's the right answer there? Both, yes. God wants us to tithe. God wants us to give offerings. There are a number of ways you can give an offering. You can give to missions. You can give to the building fund. You can give to the school. Or you can give to all three, hallelujah. Come on, Brother K, help me. Thank you. Well, wow, I lost my only supporter right there. So we're not, we're not talking about taking your tithe and giving it to missions. We're talking about tithing 10% of our income, first fruits, tithing to the Lord. And then we give above that and beyond that to missions. And we take that money, we put it in the missions account. 
Faith promise is a commitment that is made between you as an individual or you as a family and God. We usually receive our faith promise commitments, as we will do again this year. By the way, we're going to try something new in our Sunday school hour uh, this year. We're going to do a Q&A with the missionary families who are here. And uh, so I'll just throw this out there. If you have a question that you would like them to answer, you can email it to one of the ministry staff, uh, text it to us, write it out, hand it to us. And you may not have any now, but after Wednesday night, Thursday night, Friday night, because we're all going to be here Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, right? Good answer. They may say something. You may see something that piques your curiosity. You may have a question about Sri Lanka or Peru or Pittsburgh, Kansas. And you're going you're gonna to want to ask, and we'll try to fit that in. But anyway... We'll, after that, we will take up our missions commitments. We'll have a little, little piece of paper that we'll hand you. Um, and I will tell you over and over and over again on that morning, do not put your name on this piece of paper. Because this is not a promise to your pastor. It's not a promise to your church. It's a promise to God. That you promise to give through your church. Your participation in missions is 100% voluntary. Here's our prayer. Is that you will be here every night to hear the preaching and to let God lead you in your giving. And then let me throw this out there. You will not be asked to give a pledge to the church. This is a promise to the Lord. So preacher, what's the difference? Have you ever been in churches where they take up pledges? They get pretty serious about that. Like, hello, I'm Deacon Bob. And we've been kind of going over the records, and you haven't been, you haven't been faithful to your pledge. It's because they made the pledge to the church. You'll never get, hi, I'm Pastor Bill. Um... I noticed you haven't been uh, given the missions in a while. But that's not to say, Hi, I'm the Holy Spirit. (laughs) And if if you're not consistent in giving the missions, I hope the Holy Spirit knocks on your door. I hope he huffs and puffs and blows your house down. Amen. This is not about making a pledge to your pastor or your church. This is a promise to God. And believe me, God takes it a lot more serious than any pastor or any church would. Church, our missionaries are counting on us to willingly and prayerfully and, yes, sacrificially get involved in their ministries so they can go and do the work that God has called them to do. Amen. Share three quotes with you and I'll be done. We are called to proclaim his great salvation and rescue the captives. We've established that four times in the Gospels, again in the book of Acts. But we're busy spending $33 billion a year in diet products for ourselves and for our overweight cats. 
I don't know how much a 22 shell costs, but it would be. Cry babies. We are busy redecorating our temporal housing. We are spending every evening for our own pleasure. And every spare dollar for our own retirement. And somehow the unreached, in their life and death eternal struggle, slip our minds in concern. We never get around to being serious about Jesus and His command to take the good news to them. Here's what I'm doing tonight and what Brother Hetcher will do Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Sunday. We are going to encourage you to get serious about reaching the world with the gospel. The opportunities for using our financial resources to spread the gospel and strengthen the church all over the world are greater than they've ever been. As God raised up Esther for such a time as hers, I'm convinced He's raised us up with all our wealth. Hey, Breeder, who's this dude talking about? He's talking about Americans. The, the poorest American would be rich in any third world country. I'm convinced he's raised us up with all our wealth to help fulfill the Great Commission. The question is, what are we doing with that money? Our job is to make sure it gets to his intended recipients. John Piper said, I am wired by nature to love the same toys that the world loves. I start to fit in. I start to love what others love. This is a pastor in a major church in our nation, by the way. I start to call earth home. Before you know it, I'm calling luxuries needs. And using my money just the way unbelievers do. I begin to forget the war. I don't think much about people perishing. Missions and unreached people drop out of my mind. I stop dreaming about the triumphs of grace. I sink into a secular mindset that looks first to what man can do, not what God can do. It's a terrible sickness. And I thank God for those who have forced me again and again toward a wartime mindset. Church, listen to me tonight. There is a war raging. It's between the forces of good, the forces of God, and the forces of hell. And hell is doing everything it can to increase its population. And God has called us as His people to do everything we can 
to populate heaven with people from all over the world. And so here's how I see it tonight. We have three options. We can go, we can give, or we can disobey. It's just that simple. We can go, we can give, or we can just disobey. I mentioned a number of times that our part of our responsibility, and it's a big responsibility, is our own Jerusalem. Right here in liberal Kansas, while the Vots are doing their thing, Kings are doing their thing, the uh, Gabbards are doing their thing, and all of our other missionaries are doing their things elsewhere. Our thing is to be involved in reaching our community. That's why, that's why this cross is over here. This is why we encourage you to take an invite card out of the seat pocket in front of you, write down somebody's name, drop it in that box. And that's why Brother Mike and Brother Sid have gone to the, to the work of putting those up there because we wanted to be reminded about those who will be here on Easter Sunday who need Jesus. So here's what we're going to do tonight. It's going to take us a couple minutes. But I'm going to ask you to get up from where you are, walk over to the cross, grab a card or two, and spend some time at the altar tonight praying for the names on those cards. You don't have to know who they are. God does. But I'm going to ask you to call their name out before the Lord tonight. God, please, number one, make sure they get here on Easter. Number two, make sure they listen real good. Number three, God, would you save them? If they're lost, would you save them? You heard the lady sing this morning, Jesus can change your life. Amen. And wouldn't it be awesome in two services on this on next Sunday that we see God do just that. That we see his message of salvation change some lives. So if you're a guest with us tonight, you're more than welcome. I would beg you to come and take a name. And kneel before the Lord. And I want you to take those home with you. And pray for those names this week. Would you do that? I'm going to ask Virginia if you would. Why don't you play? And let's go.